Good morning. Our passage will come from Proverbs 3. As you know, uh, we are starting, we've started a new series on wisdom. Uh, just now we sing the line in the words, abide with me, uh, fast falls the eventide, the darkness deepens. Lord with me abide. This abiding, this longing for the Lord's abiding is for his protection, is for his guidance. And one of the primary things he gives us is wisdom based on his abiding. And that's what we're looking at. We're learning what does it mean as followers of Christ to gain a heart of wisdom in times like these. Um, It can be very elusive. And I just want you to know, wisdom is not simply knowing the facts. It's not just knowing details, though, of course, it includes knowledge and truth and information. But rather, it's, it's mostly orienting our lives based on those things based on the realities and of course the deepest realities that we find in scripture. So our goal as we look at these um, verses in this series is that we would begin the process or continue the process of growing in wisdom as believers, as a church, as a community. This morning's uh, verses come from chapter three and beginning in chapter two, the writer of Proverbs is saying, my son. So it's instruction of a father to a son But most commentators agree that it's also probably a community learning, possibly for young men and training. Uh, So what we can can deduce from this is that um, the Proverbs and all of these things we will study are to be learned in community. It's not something you sit down just by yourself and learn, but we learn together and by ourselves. And it's for all of us to grow in our understanding of what God is doing as we are his children. So that's what we're going to look at this, this morning's um, verses 3, 1 through 12 contain a very popular few verses, 5 through 8, that many of you have memorized. We know our children have memorized. So hopefully you'll recognize these verses and maybe the Lord will, will help us understand even more what it means to have wisdom. So let's listen to the word of God, starting in verse 1 of chapter 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart Keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son, in whom he delights. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, you love us. We are your sons with your daughters, your church. And you love to give us wisdom. You love to train us up. But Lord, like we've just read, oftentimes that training, that wisdom, that growth comes through hard, difficult, scary seasons of which we are in. So Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, that as we study this passage in light of the time we are living, help us to understand 
your presence, your processes, the way you are with us, the way your truths still govern this universe and our very lives, and teach us to trust in you with everything we have. Amen. Uh, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with how to introduce this sermon because I think we live in a season where anything you say, if you're not very, very careful, can trip into negative situations. So I'll just say this. I wanted to teach Proverbs and wisdom. As I said last week, primarily, I need to learn this. I want to grow in this. But I really do think as I'm watching and as we are watching the world around us be crashed with waves after waves of storms. I mean, this very morning, Mark tells me the locusts are coming. Has anyone heard this? It's the 17th year. So the, the locusts are coming. So now, so anyway, it's, it's, it's getting worse. The waves are crashing. And there's this really famous man who was very, very wise, who told stories. His name was Jesus. And the good news is his name still is Jesus. He reigns and he rules from heaven. And he left us a little proverb at the end of his most famous sermon that has been turned into a song. I'm not going to sing it for you. I wish the kids could come up and sing it. But it's just this. It's the wise man built his house upon the rock. Anyone know that song? Can you sing that? Okay, that's good. We're going to cut it off. For those at home, it was being sung out here in our, in our audience. Well, that comes from Matthew 7, where Jesus says these very simple words. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house upon the rocks. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it didn't fall. We have storms in Oklahoma, although sadly not very many this May. Some of you are glad, I was sad, but um, me and David Payne were very upset. But when those storms come, you do wonder, like, I, I like storms, but... Do I trust the builders? Do I trust the engineers? Do I trust the, the mechanics of my home? And that's really what wisdom is asking. Do you trust when these storms are crashing what, you, what you've been taught about Christ, what you've been taught from the Bible? Or are you leaning on your own understanding? The, the foolish person found some plot of ground and built a house and thought, this is perfect. That's what I think looks right. And of course, when the waves came, the house fell. So as Christians, we're longing to grow in wisdom, building our house where it belongs, right? So that when the waves come and, the, and they crash, as they are doing right now, we're not shattered. It's sad, we mourn, we weep, but not as those without hope. So the God who has given us infinite wisdom and poured his wisdom into the church and into Christians' lives has made a way for us to lean on him in times like these. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. How do we lean on Christ, the wise one, and not on our own understanding? Three things, why we lean on him, when we lean on him, and how we lean on him. So why do we lean on Jesus? What, what is it about leaning into God and into Jesus that, that creates wisdom? Uh, John Calvin in his Institutes famously begins by saying, if you want true theology, you want to understand theology, there's two things you need, a knowledge of God and a knowledge of man. And so to understand why we lean on Jesus, we want to explore those two things from our passage because both are here. Starting with the negative, why do we want to not, why do we need to know ourself and understand man, self, in order to know what wisdom is? And it's in our passage all over the place. Um, 
It starts at the verse three, but let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, bind them around your neck, write them on the tablets of your heart so that you will find favor and good success. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and ready for this, lean not on your own understanding. And so knowing self is to know, we tend to wanna lean on our understanding as opposed to leaning on God's understanding, especially when things get intense, right? Later, in the, just a few verses later, do not be wise in your own eyes. I, I mean, I love that uh, description. There's a tendency for us, like the fool building his house on the sand, to just think, I know, I have wisdom, I know what's right. And we tend to gravitate toward that. Bruce Walkie says this in his uh, commentary, um, the very act of, of following this passage and knowing ourselves is the act of knowing what the sinful nature is. And he says, when we know the sinful nature and we turn to Jesus, that's like one experiencing spiritual and psychological and physical healing. As a result of sin, humans are sick. So he, as a commentator, looking at this passage is saying, we need to remember, knowing ourselves, we are sick. And sin makes us ill when we follow our own devices. We must lean on God. Now, specifically, what does that look like? Um... I was looking at this, this quote by C.S. Lewis who's interacting with, I think, something that pay, is really happening right now. What is going on in our own lives, in our social media, in our world, is we are trying to fit reality to what we want. And Lewis is addressing this in The Abolition of Man where he's comparing wisdom and being a sage with the 16th century version of magic or science. Back in the 16th century, early science and magic had a lot of overlap, ironically. And what he was, he, and that's actually his, his background. And so, not magic, but that era and English writing. So as he's in, examining this literature, he noticed some things of magic and science compared to, to those that love wisdom. And here's what he noticed. Someone who longs for wisdom or the wise men of old they would find that the, they would want to find reality and that the solution would be to conform to that reality. So they would say, this is real. Now I want to change my knowledge, my discipline, and my virtues to fit reality. But what he noticed when he would read the magic and the science writings is that their problem was they were trying to make reality and subdued to their own wishes, Does that sound familiar? So in other words, I don't like this reality. How do I change it? How do I fix it? And so he said their solution was technique. The solution of a magician or a scientist in the 16th century was to come up with a technique so that reality didn't have to get adjusted. Their lives didn't have to change, but their techniques would change to fit, to get reality, excuse me, I said that backwards, to get reality to fit into their lives. How does that happen? Well, nowadays, we do like deep fakes. Have you all heard of deep fakes? Raise your hand if you've not heard of deep fakes. I thought everyone, okay. You've not heard it? Okay. Deep fakes are this new technology that's, that's going very quickly. Did anyone watch, did anybody watch the, uh, the, the, um, last, the uh, last Dance? Who watched The Last Dance? And the, the Last Dance about Jordan over here? Every, commer- they, every commercial break, they would show an ESPN reporter from like the 80s, or the 90s, excuse me, presumably predicting 
that in the year 2020, there would be this, that's the deep fake. Now they did it humorously, ESPN did, but a lot of people saw that and thought that guy actually predicted that Jordan would retire and in 20 years they would make this thing and it's a deep fake. What? It's technology going in and changing reality to fit something. Now, deep fakes are all over the internet. They're, on, they're usually videos that have been doctored. And usually what they'll show when you, to, when you see it is you'll see side by side the real thing and the fake one and you're blown away by it. And it leaves you feeling like, I can't trust anything anymore. Well, there's deep fakes everywhere. There's, you know, the, the, every bit of information coming at us requires us to ask, like, what is real? Because so often what people are doing is they're adjusting reality to fit their desires, their dreams, their, their hopes. And what wisdom says to do is know. Know yourself, know your tendencies, and change. Reality is not going to change. Truth, Jesus, the gospel, that is real. It's us that has to change. So that's the first thing of why we lean on him. We need to change and be crafted into his likeness. But more importantly, we need to know him. Why we need to lean on him is because we are made to know him and long for him. Uh, Probably the most famous verse of this passage, one of the more famous verses, verse six, in all your ways, acknowledge him. The word acknowledge, kind of modern ears hear that and think, okay, acknowledge means to sort of just nod. I acknowledge you. I see you're here. But in the Hebrew word, acknowledge there uh, means to have a deep intimacy, to have a deep knowing. Um, It's much greater than simply, I'm aware of God. It's in all of your ways, like know him. So I'm orienting my life around him, God. We know him. And how do we know him? Through scripture, through prayer, through meditating. I think one of the things that we can all confess are these two things. We all in this room, those of you at home, are taking in more information than we've ever taken in before. Now, we could have said that the last two years, the last five years, the last decade, but really like right now, I mean, don't you feel that? Like every day, we want to reread, we need to write, we need to learn, we need to, the world is coming at us and it's overwhelming us. So that's one truth we know. <clears throat> the second truth I think we could confess is we are probably reading our Bibles less than any other Christian culture ever. Like here we are a hum- as, a, as, a, as, a nation- as a, what am I trying to use the word there? As a human being who takes in information, we're at the height of our intake. And yet when we come to scripture, we're at a, the lowest ebb. Not everybody, many of us know less about the Bible. And yet all of us would say, I want to know scripture. I want to know God. I want to learn of Jesus. And so wisdom has to come through knowing him, through prayer and scripture reading and meditating. And this is not to throw guilt or heap shame. Let's just simply start by recognizing, like, this is important. Like, I, I need to chew. I need to Meditate. I need to understand my life in light of Scripture because it's my life that needs to conform. So point number one, why we need to lean on him is because of myself being sinful and God being the source of all of life, I want to know him and lean on him and trust in him. There's one, one of the uh, commentators I read used this term that will make no sense until I explain it. Sorry. But he said, 
really wisdom is the deed destiny nexus. And I asked somebody in my family, I said, can you define that for me? We were processing this together. So deed destiny nexus, the, the coming together of deeds and destiny. Right, the world gets it. The world says things like, uh, you are what you eat. Uh, you know, if you want to know what someone's like, look at their garbage, you know, see what they spend their money on. Like your deeds, what we do moment by moment, is what leads to our destiny. So when we come to God the Father and trust in him, he will begin to change. That'll begin to change our deeds and our destiny. Okay, it's a lot of weight. You're feeling it? Well, it gets more heavy. When do we lean on him? If we're gonna lean on God by knowing ourselves, when do we do it based on this passage? There's three times. Look at verse nine. Is it, if you can pull, I don't know if you can pull it up. I'll read it for you. Verses nine and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. The Proverbs, by the way, this is a little bit of an aside, are constantly giving these lines of, if you do this, then this will happen. And I want you to know that we did not all all of the sudden become a health and wealth preaching church, although we certainly would love for all of us to feel healthy and have wealth. Uh, We know ultimately that'll be in heaven. What the Proverbs are primarily doing is they're saying all things being equal. Like if disaster doesn't come, if a novel virus doesn't sweep through the town, you know, if, the, if, a neck, if all things being equal, these habits lead to these results. That's the primary things it's saying. Now, ultimately, it's saying heaven will look like this. That's its ultimate promise. But let's unpack these two verses quickly. When do we need to lean on him? In the good times. I think the writer of Proverbs is saying, look, you, if you lean on him, you trust in the Lord, you follow him and not your own ways, then in the good times when you're wealthy, you will be completely glad and willing to help those less fortunate. Notice that um, it's barns and vats of wine. One, uh, as Matthew Henry in his commentary, he says, look, these are things you can readily share and people need. It's not like, then I'll give my Ferrari away and, and, you know, my yacht rides. Like, these are things you have that the community needs. And in times of wealth, wise people are free, freely willing to give these things. Think about the rich young ruler. He's boasting about all the ways he keeps the law. And Jesus is like, great, prove it. Sell your stuff, your over, you know, those, the, the excess, the act, and, and give it to the poor. And he can't do it. But really, the wise person would be glad to help the community, so in good times. But also in bad times. Verse 11, my son, do not, be, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as the father, the son in whom he delights. So what about the bad times? So obviously there's gonna be great times, verses nine and 10, when you have wealth, where your wisdom needs to lead you to give. But in the bad times, you still lean on him when he's reproving you. Don't, don't despise the Lord's discipline. We all know the, t- the verse in James, you know, um, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. That a person who lives in wisdom, when a trial comes, recognizes it as such and knows God is still sovereign. And this is gonna be used to train me up. The C.S. Lewis quote we read earlier, I paraphrased really quickly, and it's really long, so I'm not gonna read it. But that has the concept that God loves you like a piece of art 
And part of your training and part of the way he grows you is through difficult things. So right now in this season, we're being pruned. We're being made whole. We're growing. We sang the song that we sing often, I Ask the Lord That I Might Grow, written by John Newton, a slave trader, atheist, who comes to Christ, becomes a pastor, and, and, and writes glorious hymns, right? Amazing Grace is the most famous. But to write a hymn where he understands sanctification, that I ask the Lord that I would grow, and God's like, here's how I grow you, through hard things. Wisdom helps us to understand that, that God is loving you. Paul, in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians famously says, Lord, remove this thorn. And God's like, my grace is sufficient. So when do we lean on him? Good times and bad times. But point number two, when do we lean on him primarily? Ready for this? All times. At all times. Like that's the point of this passage. Wisdom is not something you gain like on a weekend. Wisdom is not something you gain one month out of the year. It's a daily grind. Isn't that that exciting? Every day. All a day. Listen to the words. He says in verse three, bind them, these things, faithfulness and steadfastness around your neck. Bind them around your neck, right? Why do you get tattoos? People who get tattoos every time. Why did you get that tattoo? I wanted to remember. I want to look in the mirror and I see it. I'm like, oh yes. And whatever the tattoo means to them, right? Why do you wear a wedding ring? I want to remember. So when, when, God, when, when God tells us to bind these things around our neck, he's saying every single day, no matter how you feel, when you look in that mirror, you're going to see that thing bound around you and you're going to realize, aha, these things are true. Today is another day where I live leaning on God, trusting in God in all my ways. Not long ago, Emily and I were listening to a podcast and um, the person who's doing the podcast rented a home and he's an, he has kids and grandkids and they invited them all to this place. And he said, getting the whole group together, we began to be, we were aware of everyone's different ways. And he, the whole podcast was about the word way, W-A-Y-S, ways. What are your ways? And he said, like, for example, we knew we were going to all go whitewater rafting. We had to be in the car like at 6 a.m., for many of us, that meant up at 5, breakfast at 5.30, you know, quiet time, get in the car. Some of us, the alarm's going off at 5 till 6. Different ways of doing things. And as a family, trying to figure that out. Okay, so the concept of ways. Like, what are your ways? Like, who, what are your daily means? What do you do? The Hebrew word there doesn't just mean direction or path. It, it means what are your habits, your manner of being? Like, are you self-aware Point number one, knowing self, to where now, when, when do we lean on him? We begin to, are we aware of our ways, our habits, what we do? Of course, that's coming right out of the verse. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. So acknowledge him and know him in all my ways. Is it being applied to all of the practical points of who you are? Um, Yesterday morning, I decided to go to CrossFit. And um, let me just tell you, before this sounds like a humble brag, I had the worst time of the workout by far. So this is not a humble brag. This is, I need to go on a Saturday and do a lot of running. 
but I decided it kind of late in the morning and I wasn't sure Mark was going to be there and I'm texting Mark and I'm driving and I'm getting anxious. I'm feeling myself anxious because Mark hasn't responded and I don't want to get to the gym and he's left because I was the only one signed up. Thanks for hanging out, Mark. Um, but I'm driving and I'm realizing I'm anxious and I'm driving differently. Like I'm not driving as calmly and relaxed as I might normal. And someone got in front of me and I'm, I remember feeling like they need to speed it up a little bit. Like, and then I realized, okay, I'm preaching tomorrow on, on wisdom. This is my way. One of my ways is coming out. Apply the gospel. I was calm. I'm on McElroy, calm, calm smelling the, the manure of the pigs, driving down, feeling the gospel. Nearing Western. Well, at Western, they've installed a stoplight, which is designed to gather traffic. And we have a green light. And I'm, I'm going to catch Mark before he decides to hightail it. This is great. So I've already forgot three minutes ago how I felt. And this person decides to turn left. I'm assuming, oh, airport, an early airport run. And there's a car coming from a quarter mile away this way. I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, you got plenty of time. Go, 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 go. They're going to wait for the person to turn. I became very anxious again. They turn. I made the light. Once again, breathe in, breathe out the gospel, right? I, that's me with my habits in that moment going, am I leaning on God? And I began to process it. What am I afraid of? What's the fear? I'm afraid that what I want, what I'm envisioning as my reality is going to change. And it, that scares me. And so it seeps into my moment by moment living as I'm heading that way. That's a micro example of the fact that we are called moment by moment to see and examine our manners and go, Lord, teach me to trust in you in all of my ways. Right? Not just the obvious, crazy parts of my life that everyone can see, but like in the minutia. Am I resting? Am I leaning? It's, 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 a, daily, it's a daily grind. And, and the point is, is if we're not daily coming to the Lord, and I don't mean that legalistically. I'm just saying if we're not, it's again like food. If we're not regularly eating of the gospel, then when the hard things come, the storms, it's, we're going to be wondering, like, why am I so frazzled? Why am I so anxious? Why am I so disheveled? And often the answer is I've not been day by day, moment by moment, leaning on him. So how do we do it? How do we do it then? Well, this passage has a word it uses three times. And it's a word that we know and we understand, but I think we miss so often. It's the word heart. In the Hebrew, the word really just means your inner core self. But look at verse one. My son, do not forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments. What is that? Why would, he, why would the writer say your heart? Because it's your inner person. It, it's the central processing unit of the, of the human, the heart, the soul, the, where, the, where, the de, where, where the spiritual DNA resides. Again, in verse three, Write these truths, which we'll talk about in a moment, on the tablet of your heart. The idea there isn't, sometimes you don't have a tablet, but when you're a Christian, you have one. The idea is whatever the heart means to the writer of Proverbs is, a, is like a tablet. And there is a program. And either that program is the gospel or it's the flesh. 
It's either the good, it's either leaning on the Father, leaning on the triune God, that's on the tablet, or it's myself and my own understanding. And so what we're doing when we examine our ways is we want to start with the heart. What is my heart doing? And then by verse five, it says, trust in the Lord with what? All of your heart. In other words, I need to be looking for those places in my central processing unit that haven't got the new program yet. That's what sanctification is. Whether it's when I'm driving across town, whether, whatever situation comes my way, I need to make sure that's going through the processing center of the heart. So what's going to be in the heart? If that we're going to... Pro- they're going to end our sermon by unpacking these thoughts. What's the middle of our heart is verse three. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Now, when I've read that, I tend to think my steadfast love, my faithfulness. And as I looked at the commentators, a lot of them agreed it probably includes your, my steadfastness. But primarily when the Bible talks about steadfast love and faithfulness, what is it referring to? God's steadfast, why would I bind my steadfast love and faithfulness? Like, why would I want an amulet around my neck that said, remember that time you did that really awesome thing? You're so steadfast. Like, that's going to be a really cruddy amulet. I want God's steadfastness bound around my neck. I want the tablet of my heart not to record my doings, but the doings of Jesus. Where do we find that else in scripture? In Exodus 34, remember Moses has gone down the mountain. He sees the golden calf. He can't believe it. He breaks the the two tablets. Later, he goes back up to the mountain. God brings him up, hides him in a cleft, and graciously reveals himself to Moses. And he explains, I am the Lord, your God. I'm merciful. I'm gracious. I'm slow in anger. I'm abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. What is, what is Yahweh doing for Moses? You need to know me. I am a God who loves you. That's what's going on. Put that at the tablet of your heart. I loved your prayer, Tom, or your confession of sin. You mentioned Exodus, Ezekiel 36, but that the heart needs to be turned to flesh from a heart of stone. And also in Jeremiah 31, where he says, behold, the days are coming where I will put my law on your heart and give you a new heart. What is, what is Jeremiah predicting there? He is predicting the time of Jesus, where Jesus will come, live a perfect life, die his death, and, and send his spirit into your heart. And when he does send that spirit, his Holy Spirit into our heart, that is writing the gospel on the tablets of our heart. Is that gospel reigning and ruling in your heart? What does that look like? repentance and faith. It looks like this. At any moment, in any of my days, any of my habits, any of my manners, if I'm not living out of freedom, I'm not living according to the tablet of the gospel on my heart. I'm living according to my own previously encoded routine. And we see that in Galatians 5. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm. Don't submit to a yoke of slavery. Why would Paul write that? Why would he write that to Christians? Because we do it. We go from the freedom of the gospel to slavery so quickly. I'm really scared to say it, but I'm gonna just say it. I, I think we should be wearing masks to love our neighbors, so please hear me. That's my, that's my thing. But I know I've done something and I've seen a lot of you do it. I'm just gonna name this. 
whether it's you people or one, people will carry a mask for this purpose. I, wanted to, I didn't know what you were doing. I'm wearing this mask to see what you're up to. So I come to my meeting with my mask in my, anyone done this? You got your mask, and if the other person's a mask wearer, you put your mask on. Now, listen, set aside the, the, the science behind masks. I love it, I'm not questioning it, but please agree with me that all of us have also feared being judged, right? Has anyone done that or am I the only one? I've watched people walk in with the mask, presumably because they need to know, is this, have I just, have I, I just, I'm slaying the sacred cow right now. I can feel it. I'm going to get emails and listen, we do it. We are constantly wondering how are we being perceived, even with good things, with great things. We so often do what we do that are the good things we do because we want other people to approve of us. Because we want it, we, and, we, and the effect of that is we live in a prison and we need to be free. Okay, I'm going to close with an illustration. So even though I'm going to go for a few more minutes, at least it's a story. Okay, it's kind of like, okay, I'll stay, but at least it's a movie. It's a story. Last night we watched the movie Brian Banks. Um, and it's, it's, he's an he's a African-American man who was falsely accused. Uh, certainly a movie about racism, but also really just about justice system, mostly about the justice system. But he was an up-and-coming all-American football player. Has anyone seen this movie? Um, and, okay, so he's accused at the age of 16 of, of raping a, a female student, and he goes to his trial. His lawyer comes in, and, like, you have 10 minutes. You need to take the plea. And the plea is, if you don't plea, you're going to go forever to jail. But if you take the plea, we got you two years on probation. You'll be back on the ground in no time. You're, you're 16. By 18, you're playing football again. I want to ask my mom. No, you're, you have 10 minutes. It's, you're an adult. Make the decision. Come, to the, come back into the room. He comes in. He pleads. He accepts the plea bargain. The judge says six years and then another six years of probation. And he just can't believe it. And you, you feel the injustice because one of the things that in the injustice of our systems is doing is too many plea bargains, too many, you know, these lawyers are deciding things before he really goes to trial. You're not getting a jury of your peers. The threat is if you go to the trial and get a jury of your peers, you're going to get more. That's not right. So we, that's, that's an aside. So he takes the plea. He's in prison. It's horrible. But he comes out and he now has this ankle thing on his leg and he hates it. And here's what I, why I'm bringing this up. The person who helps him, I forget the name of the real man, played by Greg Kinnear, he gets out people who've been in prison for like 30 years, wrongly accused, 20 years, wrongly accused. This guy, he spent six years, he's out, he's in good shape, he's smart, he's got his whole life going, he's fine. The only problem, he has this ankle thing and he's a sex offender. So I'm thinking, that, hey, it could be a lot worse, just get on with your life. And the whole movie's about him wanting to be said, I was not guilty. Here's the risk. If it doesn't happen, for the rest of his life, he'll be a sex offender. And late into the movie, he broke parole, which means if by the end of his parole, the, ju the judge doesn't re re um, change the outcome, the verdict, and re, what's the word I'm looking for there? Revoke. Uh, we'll use that one. The original sentence, the same judge, the original sentence in the state of California, he's going to spend time in prison again. He doesn't care. He says, I'm going for it. I want freedom. 
And he goes in and they, of course, exonerate him and then I'm giving you the end of the movie because they don't make these movies with sad, like these movies always end up, right? With the happy ending, he's free. So there you go. It's a true story. He, he went on to play in the NFL. But why is that so important? As a viewer, I felt myself just thinking, it's just a little thing, just on your ankle, get over it. And that's what we do with the law. I'm free in Christ except for these things that are just binding me down. And I'm sticking with them. And the tablet of my heart is not freedom. And so often we say, come on, it's not a big deal. At least mostly you're living like you're free. And the point for Paul in Galatians 5, 1 and 2, and the point for Brian Banks is it's total freedom or it's not freedom. And I want us to know that for wisdom to take shape in our lives, our jobs is to examine the areas where we're not living out of that freedom. Where are you a prisoner? The whole movie, he would like be living, enjoying himself, get a phone call from his parole officer. You're too close. Look out the window. There's a school right there. And he was like on this wonderful date with the one, he had to go hit. I have to leave. I'm not free. I can't be near a school. I can't be over here near this. Just constant checks. We all have that. We all have little ways our conscience comes in and says, stop, you're guilty. And wisdom is our ability to see that in real time and daily say, I am gonna take the gospel, God's steadfast love and faithfulness and apply it to this area and to that area and to that area. It's a daily walk. And when we do that, true freedom will come out individually and corporately. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the freedom of the gospel. We confess, Lord, while we get it often in our heads, so many of our ways, our manners, our habits live according to law, live according to the flesh, leaning on our own understanding, wanting the approval of others. Lord, even some of our better behaviors, the things sometimes we're the most proud of, stem from sinful places. And so, Lord, we protect them. We move it to the side, we coddle it. But Holy Spirit, you don't want any of that. You want to come in and have free reign. You want us to be so free. So Lord, show us those places in our lives that we're protecting, we're coddling, that are keeping us from growing in our wisdom and knowledge of you. Lord, teach us to apply all these truths to our daily life for your glory. Amen.